0: Some things about this gospel really startled me when I started looking for a word for our community today. First of all, we've got a locked house. A group of people are inside the locked house, sheltering in place for safety. So that sounds pretty familiar right off. And then, even though the doors are locked, even though they think that they are safe inside, suddenly Jesus is among them. He's somehow gotten through their safety perimeter, and what's even more shocking than that, almost the first thing he does is to breathe on them. You know, watch how fast Tom runs away if I demonstrate that from the camera 20 feet in front of me. (laughs) It's a little bit scary. There's an intimacy about this encounter with the risen Jesus that's startling, that's even dangerous as our pandemic context helps us to see. Our context right now also helps us to see what's at stake as the story unfolds and we see Thomas wanting to touch Jesus for himself. In a time when most of us don't get to touch our friends and family outside our households, we can see why touch matters. In my seminary community, a lot of my friends had to leave early because of the pandemic and more are preparing to leave as they graduate in a few weeks. And we've had the really strange and painful experience of goodbyes without touch. And we gesture across the space that we wanna be hugging each other, but it's not the same. It's also not the same doing church with less touch. When we exchange the peace and a little bit here, we won't get to shake each other's hands and hug one another. When we celebrate the Eucharist a little bit after that, we won't get to eat the bread and drink the wine together. And it's true that we are worshiping together in spirit. I am so grateful for the technologies that allow us to bridge the gaps as much as we can. And it's true what we say about God's presence feeding us in our desire to receive the Eucharist, even when we can't actually reach out and eat the bread and drink the wine. I have faith that God is with us in our worship, even when we aren't able to have those physical connections to each other and to the sacraments. And it's also true that it's not the same. Being able to touch each other meets a real human need, and that need isn't being met in the church that we're doing right now. God didn't choose to create a world of disembodied spirits, and God knows that our bodies matter. I believe that God meets us in our bodies in a particular way when we take in the bread and wine and the Eucharist, and that's not happening in the same way right now. And the fact that it's not the same matters. It matters because the faith we claim is not just something that we believe in our heads, but it's something that we practice with our bodies. It's something that we eat and drink together, something that we touch, something that we take in with all our senses. And many of us are feeling the loss of that close contact right now in our different ways. So, Now, more than ever, I can understand why Thomas needs to touch Jesus in order to believe. For Thomas, words aren't enough. Thomas needs to touch the wounds himself in order to believe, in order to have faith. Thomas doesn't just want secondhand knowledge from the other disciples, he needs to encounter the risen Jesus for himself. I'm building on insights from Biblical scholar Sandra Schneider's here, and she reads the story as part of the way the early church figured out their life together. So Thomas is learning on the church's behalf how it works to be connected with Jesus in a community. He can't be a follower of Jesus in the same way as before, they're not just around Galilee together anymore. But on the other hand, Thomas also isn't going to just take the community's word for it about the resurrection. What other people tell him can't be a substitute for his own experience, his own encounter with Jesus. It's a fine balance for Thomas and for the early church. The relationship with Jesus isn't going to be something individualistic. The church encounters Jesus together as a community, like the disciples in that house together. So it's not just about personal experience, but it is also a deeply personal and even tactile encounter. We don't only access Jesus at a distance based on what other people have said. It's both personal and communal. For the early hearers of this gospel, the story of Jesus was both something that they believed because of testimony and something that they touched and ate and drank and lived. So for these early Christian communities, Thomas may have modeled this way of encountering Jesus. Thomas' relationship with Jesus is grounded in the community, but it's also grounded in Thomas's own body and his own senses. Thomas's need for touch signals that the church after the resurrection is going to be more about more than hearing words and agreeing to them. Faith is a messy, lived, tactile reality. Thomas needs to touch Jesus because words aren't enough. And Jesus, in this gospel, is a touching and touchable human body too. Jesus understands exactly why words aren't enough for Thomas or for us. So, out of this understanding, Jesus responds to Thomas's need for touch. And I want to spend some time with Jesus' words as he responds to Thomas's need. I think it's almost always a good idea to slow down and see what Jesus is saying, hear Jesus' words. And here, it's especially important because I think that I have misheard Jesus' words to Thomas, and maybe many of us have in the past. When Jesus says, do not doubt, but believe. It's easy to see that as a condemnation of Thomas's need to see in person. We even have the phrase doubting Thomas about the story. But I don't think condemnation of doubt is actually what's going on. A closer translation of the phrase is, do not be unbelieving, but be a believer. Or even, do not be without faith, but become a faithful. Jesus isn't condemning Thomas's doubt. Instead, he's inviting Thomas to faith in the very same breath as he invites Thomas to touch his wounds. When Thomas needs to touch Jesus, Jesus responds with an invitation to touch and an invitation to faith in the same breath. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not be without faith, but become faithful. Thomas responds to this invitation with the strongest confession of faith in the Gospels. He worships Jesus as Lord and God. This exclamation from Thomas is the first time that any disciple has actually addressed Jesus as God. Thomas believes, he becomes faithful. And right after this groundbreaking expression of belief, Jesus says something else important about faith to Thomas. You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are the ones who believe without seeing. So I used to read this bit as a disappointed dig at Thomas, something like, you really needed me to show you my wounds in person? Well, okay, but people who don't need that have a lot stronger faith than you do. But as I've thought more about the context here, I don't think that's the intention. I don't think that's the tone here. Jesus has just met Thomas's need for touch and invited him into deeper faith. And in response, Thomas has shown that he's all in. So I don't think that the next step here is a passive-aggressive reprimand about Thomas's faith. The larger context gives us some help to understand what is going on when Jesus blesses those who believe without seeing. The Gospel of John was written a lot later than the other three, so for the first hearers of this Gospel, the eyewitnesses to the resurrection are already dying out. Most of their community had never seen Jesus in person at all, At first, early Christians had relied on the apostles and others who witnessed Jesus firsthand to give legitimacy to their faith, but now that was becoming less and less possible. Almost everyone left is in the group of those who have not seen. So in that context, this affirmation from Jesus serves to assure the community that their faith is still valid even though they weren't there during Jesus' life they are also blessed. It's not so much a reprimand to Thomas as a consolation to later believers. And this is where we get to step in alongside this early Christian community that first heard the Gospel of John. The church has had a lot of time since then to think about what it means to base our faith both on testimonies like the ones in the Gospels and on the living presence of Christ in our midst. We've had a lot of time to think about what it means to see Jesus among us, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, as our baptismal covenant says. We've had a lot of time since those early days to figure out how we might touch and taste God with us in the sacraments, even though Jesus isn't still walking around beside us in the flesh. But, in some ways, we are very much still those who have not seen. We're still learning what it means to follow Jesus in a way that relies on the first disciples, but also lives into a new kind of community of people who have not seen and yet believe. And right now, the realities of what we can't see are especially present to us. We can't see each other all together in this room, We can't taste the sacraments. We can't touch, even if with Thomas we really feel the need for human touch. And yet, Jesus blesses us, blesses our not seeing of faith. Our faith is real, even though our ability to see and touch and taste our faith is not the same as what the first disciples had. Our belief is blessed, even though our worship is not the way it was just six weeks ago. With the Christians who first heard John's gospel, we are in a season of finding new ways to know the risen Christ, new ways to be faithful. With Thomas, we may be longing for touch and closeness, and we can know that Jesus understands our needs, that Jesus speaks a blessing over our faith, even when we cannot see and taste and touch. And I pray that we, like the disciples in that locked room, might find Jesus' presence breathing among us in surprising ways. Peace be with us. Amen.